chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we'll be looking at a passage this morning, verse 42, 22nd chapter of the book of Luke. We actually sang this morning and brought mention to the very title of the sermon this morning where the word of God will lead us the cup. Luke chapter 22. Verse 42. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Say, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, let not my will, but thine be done. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, first, already spoken to you this morning about your move upon me. Lord, I'm humbled this morning that you would ever call me to be a preacher, a proclaimer of your precious word. For Lord, within myself, I'm not worthy of it. I'm so thankful today because of Jesus that you've called me because of his redeeming and what a privilege I have Lord as we opened up your word and as we've read the very words of the Christ Lord, this morning I pray that you move upon us as God, the Holy Spirit, moves in our midst. I pray that you humble me, lower me, that you'll be exalted, that I would be effortless. I pray that you hide me behind the cross and you extinguish Satan from this house of worship as your church is gathered. And Lord, this morning I pray that through the moving of the Holy Spirit that you would cherish the Gethsemane. you would place us there, that it would become so real to us, vivid to us, that you would change us through your word this morning. It's in Jesus Christ's name I ask it. Amen. This morning we're going to look at the cup in which Jesus Christ spoke of here in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. And he's speaking about this cup to lead to this. Just east of the city of Jerusalem, there's a little mount. And it's called the Mount of Olives. It's about 300 foot above the city of Jerusalem. It's limestone ridge. It's about a mile in length. It's 200 or 2,700 foot above sea level. That's where it's set. And from that western slope of the Mount of Olives, there's a garden, and in that garden there are many uh, beautiful plants, but primarily there are olive trees. As a matter of fact, they actually think that there could still be eight ancient trees setting in that, uh, in that garden today that could have been there when Christ was there. 
they're twisted up and they're naughty, but they yet they still guard and watch over that garden as maybe they did when Christ prayed for them. Thank you, Lord. And we think, it's hard for a child of God to place, was it a dreadful night or was it a glorious night? Really? Was it a horrible night or was it a wonderful night? Jesus Christ had just left the uh, had been in the upper room for the last supper with his disciples. Jesus had talked to them about his crucifixion and uh, prior to his betrayal. By this time, Judas had already left and went out into the darkness to do his deed. And Jesus, uh, needing to pray, came to the Garden of Gethsemane. And these words in which he prayed cried out through history as they do today. Look there again. I want to read that again, what he said. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I don't know that mankind from Adam to now and all that will be born after can fully understand the, uh, the multitude of meaning that happened in this garden. It's the most critical time for the destiny of mankind, and we often thank and praise God for Calvary. Amen? But I'm going to tell you, the decision's made right here in the garden. This is when it's really getting down. Will it be carried out, Brother Charles? Will man be damned, or can man be redeemed? This passage of scripture is the most critical time for mankind that will ever has ever happened or ever will happen. If Jesus Christ would have turned, Brother Joe, and he had said, God, not your will, but mine. Would this not be This morning we would have actually wasted our time if we got up, got dressed up, got cleaned up, and got here if it wouldn't have been here in the garden. It would have been a total waste of our time if Christ would have said, I'm going to do it my way. But that's not what happened. We see that he said, I don't want to do this, Father. I don't want to do this. If there's some other way, I don't want to carry this out this way. But you know what? I'm going to take it because that's what you say is right. And Jesus uses a figure of speech. He uses a symbol. He uses a cup. Jesus is saying, Father, please, if there is some other way, let this cup pass from me. And this cup was all uh, the cup of agony that Jesus Christ drank from. You know, when Jesus started his ministry, I mean, he was performing these miracles. He was feeding the multitudes. He was opening eyes of the blind. He was healing weathered limbs. You know what, boy, those crowds jumped in there and followed him. Man, as everywhere. Just packing in to see all these things. They love to see the miracles he performed. Oh, they spoke real highly of Jesus. It looked like at that time that all the world loved Jesus. But when Jesus Christ began to speak uh, about a deeper eternal values and uh, uh, fully surrendering to the Lordship, 
of God the Father, when Jesus started telling them what Jesus commanded them to do in their lives, what uh, Jesus started telling them this is what God says, they started leaving faster than they came. As a matter of fact, they left in droves. Jesus had to turn to his disciples and he each actually said, Will you also And instead of multitudes, now it's down to 12 men. And even one of them has gone and betrayed him. So now we're down to 11. And out of that 11, uh, Christ chooses three disciples to come with him and go into the garden and pray. Now we get to Jesus and the three. Only three. And they totally So now in the garden of Gethsemane, really what you have, you have Jesus Christ the Son and you have God the Father. That's what you're sitting here today. Jesus knows that soon the Father is going to turn his back on him. And that Jesus, he knew that he's going to have to drink of that cup alone. Man hasn't changed much. Many will follow as long as it doesn't cost them anything. Today, I believe buildings that we call churches. Now, let me tell you something. The church is not this building. I'm the church. It's like I've said time and time again. You know, we say, well, I'm getting ready to go to church. Actually, we should say we're getting ready to go be with the church because I'm the church. And there are many today that as long as it doesn't cost me one little thing, I'll walk, talk, greet, and what a wonderful day it'll be, and I'll leave here. As long as it doesn't cost me anything. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you believe that's a Christian walk, you've missed the whole thing. You just missed it. But mankind hasn't changed much. First thing this morning I want us to see is the content of this cup. I want you to get this. There are many people today that miss this great blessing that is sitting here because they don't know what the cup contains. They don't understand what's going on with this cup. So what's in the cup? What was the cup? What was in that cup that was so terrifying to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus was in agony because of the contents of the cup. What was it that he feared? What was it that he looked on that he knew was so horrible that he wanted to pass from him? What was so vile and so filthy and so horrible that the very Son of God was in dread of it? What was in it? Was it the physical death? Now this is where people miss this. Was it the physical death by crucifixion that caused uh, Jesus Christ to be in such dread and the heart of Christ to be in such agony? Now let me say something about this death now. Crucifixion is not an easy way to go. It's a horrible way to go. One of the most horrible throughout history cross. One of the most tragic deaths that you can suffer is crucifixion. But physical death was not what was in this cup that Jesus was so dreadful of. No. Well maybe it was Satan. 
Maybe that's what he was in dread of, that he's going to have to go to the cross and endure the hounding of uh, Satan upon him from the cross. No, that ain't it either. He knows he has full authority over Satan. No dread whatsoever. He's victorious already over Satan. So, oh, maybe it was the betrayal of Judas. One of those selected 12 that uh, followed him throughout his ministry. Maybe it was the failure of Judas, of his disciples that went to sleep. Maybe it was just the disappointment. That's not it either. So what was in the cup that Jesus spoke of? Word of God tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are and yet was without sin. Jesus Christ, the contents of that cup, was the sin of all angels. I want you to grasp this. The sin of all ages, my sin, your sin, was in that cup. All that has ever lived or ever will live was the content of that cup was the sins. It was the sins of the past and all the sins of the future. God was placing that all in the cup for Jesus to partake of. You gather all the filth of all time. Place it in that cup. And the word of God proclaims to us that God said, Jesus, you drink it. Jesus, you become sin that knew no sin. Not one time did Jesus Christ ever commit a sin. But he was made sin for us. And he carried that uh, sin to the cross of Calvary. And today, even as it is then, sin has a clenched fist in the face of God. And Jesus knew that when he partook of that cup, that uh, he would be numbered as the transgressors. And he, uh, Jesus is God's only begotten Son who is holy would become sin, so all the filth of sin was placed in that cup. But also with all that filth, with all that sin in that cup, he knew God's judgment would have to come with it. Because sin has to be judged. Not just some of man's sins. Don't you let some uh, preacher stand in front of you with a $7,000 suit on and a smile on his face and minimize any sin. I know where it was placed. I know the horror of it because I see it right here. All that sin was placed in that cup. And he knew that he would have to take of it and become sin now I want you to get this Jesus Christ was not trying to get out of dying for man's sin that's not what he's asking for I want you to grab this now 
you'll miss one of the greatest blessings in the Word of God. Jesus Christ wasn't crying out saying, oh my goodness, this crucifixion is going to be a horrible thing for me now. This crucifixion is going to be terrible. The death that I'll have to endure. Then he didn't say, oh, all this sin that's poured upon me. I don't know how my heart will take it. I am in dread of this sin. That's not what happened. Well, what happened then? Well, I tell you. Jesus Christ, what? Loomed over Jesus Christ's head was this. Jesus knew when he became that sin, it would cause the relationship between him and God to cease. The Word of God tells us clearly that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? You know why? Because it's pursuing Jesus what you and I need to do. When he took on my sin, he became my sin. He knew that God would turn his back away from him. Jesus knew as he hung upon that cross, as he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew that that sin would break that relationship that in eternity past had always been perfect and divine and holy, and it would come to an end. God's word tells us in the book of Romans, God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for, uh, for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me tell you what happened. Jesus Christ, when he partook that cup, Jesus Christ took, Jesus Christ received the thunderbolt of God's wrath. Hold up now, preacher. You're telling me that God poured out his wrath upon Jesus Christ? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Somebody had to pay for it, and I'm not going to have to because I've been redeemed. But somebody had to pay for it. Jesus paid for it. What Jesus Christ endured upon the cross is this. What Jesus Christ endured upon the cross, Jesus Christ suffered my eternity in hell. That I've earned. So don't let someone with a smile on their face ever minimize what sin is. Let me tell you what I've been this week. I'm going to be just brutally honest with you. That way I can be brutally honest with you about what I think you've done. The sins I've committed this week is a shame. disgrace and should be an embarrassment that should burden my heart to see no more because my Christ has to pay for them that hard it cost and caused Jesus Christ the son of God who had been in the bosom of the Father since eternity past. And he's now going to be separated from God that day. You ever took a child to school when they're five years old? Now I got on a school bus. Things have changed. I had my little satchel. 
I stood at the end of the road, bus picked up, mama didn't ride with me. What happened? The little man got on the bus, five years old, went to school. Now I'm sure mama may have cried when I left. Nowadays, you go out to school, you figure to see some knockdown drag outs first day of school with some little fellas. Right? But I want you to think about this. Jesus relinquished fellowship with his father that had been established in eternity past. Amen. That's what the cup was bringing. That's what he was in so much dread of. He knew that that relationship would be broken when that he became sin. also want you to see the content of the cup. And I also want you to see the consumption of the cup. Look there again with me in verse 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I want you to see the consumption. Now, we've seen the content. Now we'll see the consumption of this cup. What Jesus was saying is, is, Father, if there be another way to be in your will and not have to be separated from you, that's what I prefer. Now, you see, that actually brings glory to the Father. That's what that's doing. If there be another way, Father, if there be some other way that we can accomplish your will, that your grace can be bestowed in another way, I'll choose that one. But if not... Let it be. When Jesus Christ asked that question, he already had given the answer, it doesn't matter. I'll do what you say. And a great silence come over that dark room. And by God's silence, he revealed there is no other way. Jesus Christ in his divine love and his perfect obedience said, Nevertheless, not my will but thine. You see, Jesus paid the price and we will never know the agony that the Son of God endured. this, don't you ever think that Jesus Christ had to die? He had a choice. You know, you remember when he said, no man taking my life but I lay it down to myself if I need to take it up again. What's the contrary of Adam and Jesus? Adam said in the Garden of Eden, not your will, God, but mine. What a choice. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Not my will, God, but yours. See, when Adam said, My will, God, not yours, he ruined the human race.
praise God. When Jesus Christ said, not my will, but thine, he redeemed us. That's the consumption of covetousness. I really do, and I'm not going to argue the fact with someone if they went that far into sin. I have a true problem with someone that says they're multiple ways to heaven if there are multiple ways to heaven I'll tell you this if there are multiple ways to heaven God Almighty Jehovah is the most horrible God I've ever seen you say whoa what do you mean if he would say I tell you what I'm going to let my son die but I tell you what also folks if you can just live good and be nice to people I'm going to let you go to heaven too I guess Jesus just died for somebody as horrible as me no, there's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he took the cup. He's the one that became my sin. He's the one that died for my sin, so therefore he's the one that redeems, and there's no other way. And in that is the consumption of the cup. Jesus took my sin, he took your sin, and he became that sin upon Calvary's tree. God will never overlook sin. You know why? He can't. It's impossible for God to look over sin. God is holy, and by that holiness, he has sworn that sin will be punished. And if God should let some sins go unpunished, then God is no longer holy. The cross is God's way of punishing sin and forgiving the sinner at the exact same time. week as I looked at this passage of scripture nine ten years old when I was saved and I remember the relief that I had and I'm going to tell you how quick this all transpired with me I didn't even wasn't convicted till my daddy asked me I hadn't been laid up for 40 years being convicted of the sin that's in my life no, when my daddy asked me if I ever thought there was anything that separated me from my God, at that instant the Holy Spirit showed up and said, yeah, you're a sinner. And even at that short period of time between the age of accountability and the time I accepted Christ was very minimal. I mean, we're talking three seconds. But I felt relief then. And you take the sin that you felt relinquished you felt forgiven when you accepted Christ and you take that burden that's that sin was putting on you and that's what was on Christ but all mankind sin not just one you felt not just the burden that was lifted you all the burden of sin for mankind for all time and all time to come was placed upon Christ when he died for you how horrible you see something else about this cup and this con the consumption of it. Look there with me in verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as if it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The word agony here in 
Verse 44 is a uh, the Greek word which means to be in a contest or a game, such as Olympic games. It's used with intense emotion. Now the definition of agony in the English language, there's three of them. One is an intense pain of mind or body. Second one is a strong, sudden display as of joy or delight. The third, a violent struggle or contest. The Greek word used here is defined by that great struggle, that violent struggle that's taking place. So this is actually saying, I want you to take this in all reverence. Actually, this is saying that there's a great contest going on here, Brother Joel. There's a big fight coming up here. There's a great contest that's taking place here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, what's that mean? It means Jesus Christ was fighting. He was in a wrestling match. But who win? Was he fighting with God? No, never would he fight with God. He's done established it's your will, not mine. Who was he wrestling with? Was it Satan? No, Jesus had absolute authority over Satan. Satan wasn't getting that match. Who was it? much man as any man's ever been, but he's much God as God is. He's the God man. We're starting to see this humanity come in here, and I'm going to show you the blessing in this. He said, if there be another way, Lord, that's the humanity speaking through. If there be another way, I'm going to be obedient regardless of what it is, but if there's another way that I don't have to partake of this sin, I'll choose that. But this relationship isn't broken. He's in a contest. And it was in his heart that he wanted to please the Father. You see, Jesus in his holy humanity, there was this divine love. And there was this great contest. There was a fight taking on. There was a wrestling match going on within Christ. And I'm so glad today to love Jesus one more. I want you to think of this. The reason that I know that this is what the Word of God is talking about, we say, well, you know what? There's no way that I can live a holy life, so I'm not even going to try. Well, you're probably not saved. You know, God says, I'm holy, therefore you're going to be holy. And you can, it will not pan out for you. It's not going to pan out that we go in before God and say, God, you know that I'm a sinner and I couldn't live right. And God say, well, I'm going to just excuse you on a couple of things. That doesn't happen. God expects holiness from us. Blessing in this, this contest. Have you ever been in a contest on right and wrong in your life? You ever had that fight going on say, ah, no, I'm not supposed to do this, but I want to. You know we don't have to lose that fight. That fight that comes along when we know in our hearts by the moving of the Holy Spirit, we know that it is wrong. We know that it is a sin before an almighty God. We do not have to succumb to that sin. There's victory in Jesus, and we got it right here. Jesus didn't succumb of it, and we don't have to either. We can say, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm in a great contest against right and wrong, but I want your will to be done, not mine. Strengthen me, empower me to push on have victory in Jesus that I'm not conquered with this sin. See, Jesus 
in that same context that you romanticize. And he still wanted it. I've used this story before, and it's relevant to this morning. In the days of Nero, the emperor of Rome, there was a band of elite soldiers known as the emperor's wrestlers. These men were the best athletes that could be found throughout the Roman Empire. They were the bravest soldiers within the entire army. They wrestled for the emperor against all who would challenge. Before each contest, they would stand before the emperor's throne and they would cry out, We wrestlers, wrestlers for thee, O emperor, to win for thee the victory and from thee the victor's crown. One year in the mid of winter, there was a great uh, rebellion that had taken place in one of the provinces of Rome in Gaul. And the emperor sent these wrestlers into one of the battalions there to take down this rebellion, to end this war. This brave group of soldiers went left Rome under the command of a great general. While there, rumors started spreading in Rome that some of the emperor's wrestlers had become Christians. Well, that infuriates him. When he received the news, the emperor sent a messenger to Vespin, their general, and made this decree. If there be any among your soldiers who cling to the faith of Christianity, they must die. It was in the dead of winter. Vespin received the message while his soldiers were camped beside a frozen lake. He assembles all the men and he asks them, Are there any among you who cling to the faith of Christianity? If so, let him step forward. Instantly, 40 stepped forward. All 40. They stepped forward two paces and uh, saluted and stood at attention. Vespin was stunned. He had not expected all of them to step out, especially these selected ones, these choice, the finest, the best Rome had. He said, Till sundown, I give you time to recant and deny what you've just proclaimed here. At sundown, the soldiers were again assembled together. Vespin asked the same question. Who will still cling to Christianity, even if it means your death? Once again, 40 stepped forward and stood at attention. He started pleading with the men. Just tell me no. But not one soldier would deny Christ. He didn't want these men killed. He had served with them. He had fought beside them. Many may have even saved his life. And he respected them. So he made a decision. That he stripped these men off all their clothes off, and they were to go and stand out on this frozen lake. They were going to be exposed to all the elements until they froze to death or 
He said, if you will recant of this, I'm going to build a big fire up here on the bank. And if you'll recant, you don't even have to say, I refute it. I deny Christ. All you have to do is come and warm yourself at this fire. That way you don't even have to deny Christ. You don't have to say it. And we'll give you shelter here. Forty soldiers stripped out of their clothing, fell into four columns of ten, and marched towards the center of this frozen lake barefoot to their death. But they cried out once they, they got to the middle of that lake as they had done many times before, forty wrestlers for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory and for thee the victor's crown. All night their commanders stood by that campfire pacing back and forth and watching those brave soldiers out on that icy lake succumbing to the cold. Later in that night, he could still hear them chanting that chant. This morning, Drew Nye, he said that he could look out over the, they say that he could look over the lake and he could see through the fog of that uh, frozen lake. He could see men standing there and then he heard this very faint cry. 39 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee victory and for thee the victor's crown. The heart of their commander was crushed but also touched. He took off his own clothes, his helmet, all of his armor, ran upon the frozen, frozen lake and huddled with his men and they cried out again. Forty wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory and for thee the victor's crown. These were young, strong, powerful men. They did not choose to please themselves or even others. They were committed to please the Lord. tells us your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his degrees and to obey his commandments I've made the comment before and I believe that most children of God will say this if you put them in a corner I believe that most children of God say I'll die for the cause of Christ you believe that examine yourself this morning will you die for the cause of Christ this morning Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the blessing of life. I thank you that you love us the way that you do. And Lord, we don't have to sit around as your people assuming that you love us. We don't have to sit around and 
think that you love us. No, I praise you this morning because there's a fact that's carried through the entire word of God that you do love us. And Lord, we'll lie today. We'll lie, live for you. this time of invitation, you use it the way you see fit. In the stillness of it, move on your people. It's in my Christ name I ask it. Amen. Let's give everyone to stand.
be seated. This morning we have some of the Liz and B family, and when you say some, that can still be a big number now, uh, but uh, they're coming this morning, Angel, Joe, Melody, Joelle's coming this morning, Brooklyn, my, I'm wrong, I'm still confused on them myself, <laughs> okay, well, and they're coming this morning, uh, I think the Lord has sent them to Calvary, and we're excited about that, we're excited anytime. God moves in someone's life and come serve him that he would have them out. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And uh, once uh, we've had our word of prayer dismissed, y'all come around and introduce yourself to them, get to know them, and just give them the right hand of Christian fellowship and tell them how glad we are that God sent them to Calvary Baptist Church. Brother Chad, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer? <laughs> 